Moms, I urge you this morning, it is strong, there's a strong siren call in our day to, to draw you away from the home and away from children. But I want to urge you this morning to turn your heart towards home and that the great joy and reward of raising children is something that the Lord has made you for and has set before you. They grow up so quickly. I'm, I sound like an old man. I probably am an old man, but I sound old when I say that. But two of our children are already gone out of the house. And our next two, our, our next youngest has got one year and then after that four years so we had to start over we got a, we got a new addition to the house because we just love having kids there but I can't believe how, how quickly it has been somebody talked to me about filling a jar with a, some marker that's every week that's left with your children and as the weeks pass you pull it out and you'll be shocked at how little time you have to spend with your children to influence their lives and it is dramatic there is no more important person than mom and dad in influencing their lives, and probably mom ranks higher. However, with that said this morning, I'm going to shift gears to something different in our, in our focus this morning, because I know that so many moms, perhaps all moms in this audience, have some great struggle that is in your heart related to motherhood, some great sadness, some great difficulty, something that has happened I know that there are many very traumatic miscarriages that are represented in this church. There's infertility, there is abortion, there are things that just did not work out the way that you so longed for them to work out. There are estranged children that for all intents and purposes might as well be dead because you have no contact with them anymore. They will not speak to you and it crushes your heart. So I want to talk this morning about something that came up this past week, and a, 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 some dear friends in this church um, helped steer this this morning. And it is the process, it is a biblical process of lament. And you might say, that's a, that's a, that's a maybe on a wrong thing to talk about on Mother's Day. But if you can't get past the great struggles in your heart that are very emotionally tied up with your children, you will not be able to love God and enjoy Him in the way that you ought to and that you can. And so I want to help you this morning understand this very biblical process of lament so that you might be able to take these deep struggles in your heart to the Lord and see resolution and then see growth, that you might be able to make progress in your love for the Lord. There's a man named Mark Vergop who wrote a very important book. It's in our library. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. He wrote this after he and his wife went through a series of four very difficult uh, miscarriages and were just lost in their relationship with God in a series of traumas and struggles and did not know what to do. Lament, he writes, is embracing the brokenness of the world with the hope of a sovereign God. And it is all over the Bible. This morning we're going to start in the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, but we're also going to look at Psalm 13, so you can begin to get there. This is going to be a longer introduction this morning because I think we need more introduction to understand this passage when we get there. But the fact that there is an entire book of the Bible with this name should say this is an important thing, something that we should understand. Lament is reconciling deep 
questions and serious struggles of life pain with nagging doubt, like all these things that can come from so many different directions and reconciling those deep pains with thanksgiving, joy, and hope in the promises of God. How do we bring together deep emotional pain, real emotional pain over real things that have happened to us and reconcile those with joy and the promises of God? That is not an easy thing to do. And when we are not able to reconcile those two things together, something terrible happens because it produces a crisis in our faith. When we hear that the Bible says something about God and then our experience in life is radically different or we think is radically different than what the Bible says about God and we cannot bring these two things together, it causes a crisis in what we believe. It creates a fakeness for those that are in the church and for those that are in the Christian community. They put a plastic smile on their face and they say, how are you? I'm fine, everything's fine. But in their heart, it's definitely not fine. And they're struggling deeply with how to react towards God. And over time, this produces a deep-seated anger against the Lord and against the church. And we've all probably seen people where it finally breaks out into the open and something dramatic and terrible happens. As this person finally is honest about the deep struggles in their heart and what is going on with them before God. I hope to help you see this morning God's purposes in lamenting and how it is used by God to help us process and then grow beyond our deep hurts and struggles to come into a close, authentic, near relationship with God. Vorgop writes about lament as the minor key language of the scripture. We all know what minor key music is. It's, a, it's music that has a somber and sad tone to it. And it's, it's impossible to quantify what that means, how something of a minor tone can make you feel sad. It's something that God just created in us. But it's the way it is in the Bible when we read what we're going to read, that it is language of sadness and struggle Language of expressing yourself genuinely, but in submission to God's will and his purposes. And that's very, very important. Many people feel like it's wrong to express genuine ideas of struggle and sadness in your life. You're somehow sinning by saying such things to God. It is the opening of the heart so that healing can begin. Because a closed, bitter heart will not be able to heal. It will not be able to make progress. The language of lament is a prayer that is in pain. It is a cathartic expression of anguish. It's opening your heart and saying what is there. And what happens when we say these things is that it is from a, a, a place that we begin to understand more of what is actually going on in our heart. We're going to see this morning in the book of Lamentations, which is written by the prophet Jeremiah after a lifelong series of sadnesses and struggle. He's called the weeping prophet. He's one that had so much struggle in his life that it, it culminates in him writing what we will see here this morning. And he will say something about despair this morning. Despair is a powerful word. Despair means that you have lost hope, that there is a dreadful feeling that has settled over you that nothing good can happen anymore. And that's a very real feeling that many, many people feel in their lives.
But in the midst of this feeling of despair, Jeremiah calls out to the Lord and he offers a prayer. But it's a prayer of deep disappointment. It's a prayer that he is struggling with grief and loss that cannot be repaired in his life. It is a prayer where he is praising God, as we'll see, but he's praising God in the sorrow of his struggle. He doesn't have to act like the sorrow's not there, act like the struggle's not there, and then praise God with a, with a plastic smile. But he is expressing the struggle that is real in his life, and he is praising God in the midst of that sorrow and that struggle. What I want you to see this morning as we look at Lamentations and then as the Psalms is that the Bible directly encourages hurting people to verbalize their hard struggles and questions, to express their profound grief. So a refusal to think about and then verbalize profound grief causes the struggle to go on longer. Let me say that again. A refusal to think about and then verbalize profound grief and struggle causes greater and more prolonged struggle. And you say, why, why is that? Why does that make any sense? Because there is something going on in turmoil in your soul where your grief and who God is, you can't bring these two things together. And instead of striving to bring them together, you compartmentalize the grief and just stick it off to the side. But it doesn't go away. We know that when we sweep things under the rug, the rug just gets bigger. The rug doesn't eat the problems. And so they're still there. And you cannot deal with them unless you begin to express them in some way. Because God has made us in such a way that thinking and speaking and praying about things, especially about grief and sorrow, causes us to process those things. Because there is a, a way in which God has made us in expressing ourselves. And the least careful way of expressing ourselves or the least careful way of understanding something is to just think about it. It's very undefined. But you find when you think about something and then you have to speak about that to someone else, you're like, oh, well, I, maybe I didn't think that through quite as well because you, you can't quite find the words to put it together. But when you think about something and then you say something to someone else about it, it becomes a lot more clear as you work through how to say it to another person. And then the third level of clarity is when you start to write about it and your words have to be very specific and very clear. And so the more we pull up these things that we're struggling so much with God about and we begin to pray about them, which is a, a verbal act, and perhaps even write about them, it helps us to be much more specific about what is going on. And it takes an undefined struggle and makes it much more defined. And in that definition, there's more clarity as to what is really the problem. What is really going on here? And when we have more clarity on what the problem really is, we can then begin to bring the truths of God's word to bear on those struggles. And we can begin to get counsel from other biblical people, other trusted Christians who can get beyond just, I'm struggling. Well, I can't, I can't help you there. Like I need to know more as to what's really going on. But when you allow another person, another Christian to come into your life and help you bring scripture to bear and give you wise counsel, you can begin to face your own feelings in light of who God is and in light of what he has said.
And as we begin to face the struggles of our life in light of who God is and in light of what he has said, we find ourselves walking through something similar to what the book of Job is. The book of Job is, is great struggle and trial that comes into a person's life that is just overwhelming. And the whole book is about him churning through and expressing to God the struggles of his life. And then God reacting to those things and helping him to reconcile this great sadness with who God is and what he has said so that he might be in and remain in relationship with God. Well, this clarification and facing God brings about spiritual growth. It brings about hope and the truth. It is not just forgetting what has been there, but it is, and it is definitely not a numbing of it. Our culture is very good at numbing hardship, either with alcohol or drugs or a, a pill of some sort to t- just kind of just forget about this and put it away. This is not what we're talking about this morning. And we're not talking about running away from the problem. Because when we run away from the problem, we also know these things don't reconcile. It is in the process of lament that we have both sorrow and we have joy. And that both of these emotions are coexisting together. And that both of these emotions are valid emotions. And they're both emotions that God can use to bring us to himself. They are both emotions that exist in the same place, in the same psalm, many, many times. Where there's joy and there's sorrow. And in both of these things, there is praise to the Lord. So we grow spiritually by recognizing our need for God's grace. Our tears do not drive God away. Instead, our tears draw him near because it expresses an openness of the heart and so often a humility that was not expressed before. And the Lord begins to intervene and he begins to sustain us by his mercy. Well, let's spend some time reading in the book of Lamentations. I know that's a, that's a long introduction, but I hope that understanding where we're going will help you to have a better grasp of what we're reading here as the prophet Jeremiah expresses his great struggle and turmoil in his heart, where he first expresses tremendous sorrow and then goes to joy. This is going to be 21 verses of a person in great detail expressing the sorrow of their soul. And every one of us here will be able to find something that has related to sorrow and struggle in our own life, I know. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. 
He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. It's a powerful passage. It's very, very important that we see that Jeremiah recognizes that these are not just circumstances happening to him. Over and over, he repeats that God has caused these things for some reason to happen to him. He understands very much the sovereignty of God in his life, and he is struggling to reconcile the goodness of God with these things that are happening in his life. And the reconciliation of these things is not easy. But I want you to understand that this is not a confession statement. It's very important. Confession and lament can have relationship to each other, but they are not the same thing. Jeremiah has not sinned. He has lived a righteous life before the Lord, and yet all these things have come into his life. He is not confessing his sin. He is simply stating what is going on in the turmoil of his heart before God. He says in verse 4, he's wasting away. Verse 7, he feels walled in and trapped that he can't get out. In verse 8, that God does not seem to hear his prayers. Every single one of us in here has at some point in your life prayed and you felt like you were pretty sure your prayer just bounced right off the ceiling and came back down and that God was not listening to a word that you said. In verse 9, it says that he feels like his ways are blocked in by blocks of stone. This is the idea that everywhere I go, like the Lord cuts me off and he cuts me off and he cuts me off and he cuts me off again. That God has intentionally made his ways crooked and not straight. Verse 15, he expresses his bitterness towards God. That there is no peace. Verse 17, it says that he has forgotten happiness. I pray that you're not in that place, but I have known many people that it has been such a long time since they can say that they were authentically joyful, that they have forgotten what that feeling was like. And Jeremiah had been through so much struggle that he had forgotten what it was like to be happy. And in verse 20, he says that these things replay in his mind over and over and over and over and over. And the struggle just will not go away. We can all relate in some way to these expressions of lament in this book, but it is so important. And the purpose of what we're saying here this morning, what I'm trying to convey to you this morning is that the passage does not end here. There is, praise God, the way to reconcile what has happened with who God is and the purposes that he has in our life. And so I want you to see verse 21 because in every passage of lament in the Bible after this true expression of guilt, uh, excuse me, this true expression of struggle and hardship and suffering, there is a turning point. And the turning point in this passage is verse 21. 
but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. But, but this is not all that there is. There is something else happening here that I must remind myself. With this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. There is a distinct shifting of his thinking where he is expressly turning his thinking in another direction. This is where all my emotions want to take me. But I'm going to turn away from this and I'm going to turn to something else that I might have hope. Let's read the, the next few verses. Lamentations 3, 22 through 33. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so there is an, a distinct turning in the mind, a, a, a setting of his mind on something different, on the promised hope of the Lord and the character of the Lord that he knows is different. The New Testament, Paul writes about this. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where he encourages and impresses believers to take thought, take captive every thought unto the Lord, which is interesting. It is the idea that our thoughts are not on their own just running wild. That when our heart is carrying us away to a place that we know is not true, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we are able to take captive the thinking of our mind and move it in a different direction so that we may not dwell on things that are false and things that will destroy us, but have our mind dwell on things that are true and in that have hope and begin to make progress in our godliness. It is turning to statements of truth. Jeremiah begins to state to himself in his suffering statements of truth. And each and every one of us have to do that when we find ourselves in this place. That we must turn our thoughts to something different and begin stating to ourselves truths that we need to hear. I want us to look at Psalm chapter 13. I'm sorry, Psalm 13 as another pattern of these things. Uh, and you can turn there as we put a finger in Psalm 13 as we, as we continue on in Lamentations 3. Because what, we're going to get there in just a second. What God is doing is that he is, Jeremiah is reminding himself of God's promises. In verse 31 and 32, we have Jeremiah reminding himself of God's promises. For God will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. That's a promise from the Lord. God is not going to leave you forever in this terrible place. He will bring you up out of it. Though it may feel that a new day will never dawn, it will come. And you need to be reminded of that truth because it is true of God's character and of his work. 
Next, in verses 25 through 26, Jeremiah reminds himself of God's past faithfulness. In verses 25 and 26, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The idea of waiting on God. Jeremiah can look back to so many characters in the Old Testament, so many issues even in his own life where waiting on the Lord produced some tremendous result when the Lord comes and shows himself afresh and takes the person out of this low place and puts them into a place that is so different. And as Psalm 23 says, restores our soul for his name's sake, takes us into a place of quiet waters and green pastures out of the valley, the valley that was so low and seemed so desperate and now in a different place. And so it is so important that he look back and see how God has acted in the past, that he might have hope for how God is going to work in the future. So the pattern of lament There is a pattern, I believe, of the way that these passages work out, and Psalm 13 is one of the clearest of those patterns. There's four basic aspects to a pattern of lament, and if we are struggling, if you are struggling deeply with these things and you want to walk through this pattern, it will help you. The first part of the pattern of lament is turning to God in prayer. If you are unwilling to turn to God in prayer and your heart is so hard and so angry with God, then There is the need that you enter into confession first and ask God to forgive you for the great anger in your heart. And then you will be able to turn to him in prayer. And when you turn to God in prayer, the second step is bringing a true statement of struggle to the Lord. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, David says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's a prayer. But it is also a statement of true struggle with God, stating what is wrong, but in submission, in recognition of God's sovereignty. And this is the way David states the struggle of his heart to God. And it is necessary that you authentically take before the Lord the struggles that are in your heart. Third is that you ask God to act. Because when you ask God to act, it is a statement of faith, believing that God can and will act in your life. Psalm uh, Psalm 13, verses 3 and 4. David's prayer, consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest my sleep Sleep, the, uh, sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David asked God to consider his prayer and to answer him and to look down upon him and to act in his life. And it is right for us to ask God to act in the situation that we are in and move things, including our own hearts, that we cannot change and move ourselves. The fourth part of lament is choosing to go away from this prayer with trust and in praising God. The last two verses are this. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You start with how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And you end with the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. 
That's a lot of transition. That's reconciliation. That's bringing a seriously hard struggle with the Lord to facing who God is and what his truth is and then making a statement of hope in God and praising God. I understand that there may be some of you here this morning or you have in the past been a place where the despair of your life was so deep that the praise part wasn't there yet. In that, you must simply trust the Lord and keep on going and keep on pursuing him because there will come a place where he will bring you to where you can praise him. And you are seeking that. You are longing for it. You are praying for it. But there is an amazing illustration of just all of this that I hope will be helpful to you. It's been helpful to countless people for hundreds of years. And it's the illustration that comes from Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress was written in 1678 by John Bunyan. It was written while he was in prison, in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ during a time when it was outlawed. This was not written by some creative writer on the beach somewhere hoping to find a way to express grief and what it meant. It was someone in prison for the sake of the gospel. And this book has never been out of print since 1678 to this day for a reason. It is an allegory. It's where God, he uses different things to compare our life to what God has for us. And when speaking of grief, Christian is going along this, this path in the whole book from where he was in sin and death, seeking to enter into glory. And he comes along with a companion called Hopeful. And as they're going along this path to glory, they wander off of the path. And they find themselves in an area that is the area of the giant of despair, And the giant of despair captures them because he overpowers them. There's a reason why he's presented as a giant. This sense of despair is so overwhelming that Christian and hopeful cannot escape it. And so he pulls them in and locks them into the the castle of doubt, into the dark and deep dungeon under the bottom of this castle. And every day, the giant of despair comes in and berates them and physically beats them until they're unable to move. And does this day after day after day and starves them. And he gives these incredible pictures of just the the darkness of a soul that just feels beat up every single day. And feels like Jeremiah just wrote to us in uh, Lamentations chapter 3. And after this goes on for day after day after day, the giant comes in and sees their condition. And he says, you know what my encouragement is for you? Is that you ought to go ahead and kill yourself because you're never going to get out of this place. I will beat you to death. And Christian and Hopeful have him go out of the, he goes out of the the dungeon of of doubt, and they begin to do something they had not done yet. Because after his threats, he takes them out into the courtyard and shows them the bones of all the people that he has destroyed in his time through all of his doubt and all of his despair. And yet what Christian and Hopeful do is they enter into prayer. They begin to pray, and they begin to ask God to give them the endurance to hope yet that they might see the heavenly kingdom. And when the giant of despair sees the hope that they have in their hearts, he hates them even more and comes at them even harder. But in their prayer, they are reminded of something. And it's it's a beautiful allegory. It talks about Christian being reminded of a key that he has forgotten about in the pocket of his coat. And what is the key? The key is the key of promise. The promises of God. 
that he knows that God has made promises to him, and promises that have not been kept yet. And so he takes this key of promise and puts it in the lock in the gate of doubt, and it will not turn. And so he keeps trying to turn it, and eventually it turns and the gate springs open. And the promises of God are what release them from the castle of doubt and despair. And this is radically important because this is what is happening with the psalmist and with Jeremiah in these passages. These two people are intentionally turning their heart by prayer away from all of the things that are destroying them in their life. And they turn their hearts to God and by prayer take hold of his promises and remind themselves of the promises of God over and over again. And eventually, the gate of despair gives way, and they're able to enter in again into the pathway that leads to glory. And this promise is a part of what is being taught to us in the Bible about lament, but then about choosing to trust and to praise God that we might escape from despair and leave it behind, reconcile it with what God is doing in our life so that we might authentically be able to praise God. I don't know where you are this morning, but as we close this out, it's vitally important that I speak to the gospel. If you've never come to know Christ as your Savior and you feel like you are in that play, you're in that dungeon being beat to a pulp right now, you will never exit that place without the grace of Jesus Christ. When you go to the world as to what should I do about this great grief and struggle in my heart, they will give you a book about the power of positive thinking. They will give you a pill, but they will not be able to tell you how to find new life in Christ. Only Jesus Christ can cause you to be born again only Jesus can give you new life to where your heart that was dead becomes alive. And you begin to understand that all that was happening in your life was there for a purpose and that God was doing it to bring you to himself that you might have life. And I want you this morning to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you would believe in him for the first time, that all the sorrows that may be bound up in your heart, that you would lay them at the foot of the cross and that you would turn them over to Jesus and that you would believe in him as your savior. There's a reason why he's called a savior. He saves us out of these things that we might enter into glory. Yes, amen. If you are a Christian, though, and you have still not been able, you're struggling deeply with some hurt that God has brought into your life and you just don't know what to do with it. I want to give you six things. Great, great help from something, uh, a study on lament from the Bible Study Fellowship. Great just practical steps as to how we, we make it around the turning point corner of our expression of grief before God to an expression of joy and hopefulness in God. The first is listen to good Christian music full of joyful truth. Music does something to our heart. If you don't know, you can go back and re-listen to this music that we just heard here this morning on our YouTube channel. It lifts my heart. I do it often in the week. Listen to music that will remind you of truth with joy. Second, memorize scripture. It takes time to memorize scripture. And as you go over and over and over the truths of God's word, it will begin to take root in your heart and it will begin to change you. Third, 
Pray that God will help you to align your thinking with biblical truth, that your thoughts will not just run away with you, but that you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to take hold of your thoughts and align them with biblical truth, that you might think truthfully about the situation and what is actually going on. Next, that you would have the humility to allow a friend room in your situation to be able to speak into what is going on. It's an act of pride to never allow someone to, to hear what is actually going on in your life. Find a trusted Christian friend and speak to them about what is going on that they might be able to come alongside you and pray for you and give you godly counsel. And lastly, that you stay in the fellowship of the church. The local church is the body of Christ and we are meant to be here for one another. We are meant to pray for one another, speak truth to one another, minister the gospel to one another, help one another along the way. Pilgrim's Progress, it's no coincidence that, Pil that Bunyan writes about Christian being in that dungeon with another brother. The two of them together, encouraging one another, praying for each other so that they might escape that place into something different. So hurting moms this morning, if there is some great struggle lodged in your heart that is keeping you from experiencing the full love of Christ, keeping you perhaps from experiencing the joy of your marriage or enjoying the children that you do have, may you trust in the steadfast love of the Lord today. May your heart come to the place where you can rejoice earnestly in his salvation and say again that the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these passages. Your word is so rich that often takes us to places that we do not expect and things that we would not naturally assume. And Lord, I know that lament is an important part of the scriptures. It's so many of the Psalms are speaking about the heart of the psalmist. And so much of what comes out of the heart of the psalmist is authentic expressions of struggle with what you are doing in that person's life. And so, Lord, help us to see that it is not wrong that we express our struggles to you, that joy and sorrow can coexist. But, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to take captive every thought and that the enemy would not be able to run away with our thinking to where we end up in a place that is a terrible place, a place of despair. May you break every bond of sadness, break every bond of, of, of a person in this congregation that is believing a lie about God. May they be reminded by the scriptures as to who you truly are and the mercy and grace that you are full of and the way in which we share in the sufferings of Christ that we might come through those things understanding what it is that you have done for us and in that have a deeper understanding of you and a deeper joy on the other side. Lord, take us out of the valley and into places of quiet pasture and clean waters, Lord, that our soul might be restored and that for your sake. In Christ's name we pray, amen.